In today's first reading, God forgives the shame, the sin, of the generation of Israelites who grumbled against him after the Exodus. On the threshold of the Promised Land, their descendants, with a clean heart, can celebrate the Passover and enter the Promised Land. St. Augustine wrote that it is easier for God to hold back anger than to hold back mercy. This incident at Gilgal is a shining example of, as we would put it in human terms, God forgetting his anger and showing his mercy. Mercy, not anger, is also at the heart of the parable that Jesus tells in today's Gospel. The story of the prodigal son is the story of Israel, the story of the human race, and the story of every believer. In baptism, we are made a new creation, as St. Paul puts it in today's epistle. But when we sin, we are like the prodigal son, quitting our father's house, squandering our inheritance in trying to live without him. We cut ourselves off from the grace of sonship that was lavished upon us in baptism. It is still possible for us to come to our senses to make our way back to the Father as the prodigal does. But only God can remove the sin and restore the divine sonship we have spurned. Only God can free us from sin that causes us, like the prodigal son, to see God not as our father, but as our master, one we serve as slaves. But a master does not run to us when we return, nor does he clasp us in his arms and kiss us tenderly. It is an undeniable fact, as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, that mass attendance is in the decrease. But also the lines of those going to confession on a Saturday have disappeared. Yet Christ willed that we use this sacrament that he gave to his church on Easter Sunday evening when he appeared to his apostles, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. When the Protestant groups broke away from the Catholic Church in the 16th century, among what they rejected from the Catholic faith was the practice of individual confession of sins. Over the centuries, and particularly in the last 60 years, the growth in secularism, scientism, and a widespread rejection of God has meant that some of these erroneous ideas have made their way among Catholics. So let's examine some of the objections that some people have to going to confession. Firstly, there is no such thing as universal salvation. Not every person will get to heaven. 
our Lord himself said that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. St. Paul also wrote that we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Thus we need every help that Christ gives us to get to heaven. We would be ungrateful and negligent if we did not use the sacrament of mercy and forgiveness that he gave us. Some ask why we have to go to a priest to have our sins forgiven rather than privately saying sorry to God. The truth is we have to do both. Notice that Christ's words to the apostles on Easter Sunday evening imply that the apostles would know the sins of the one who is confessing. Every night before sleep we must say sorry to God for the sins of the day and we need to go to confession regularly. We relate to God as members of the Church, the body of Christ, and so God's forgiveness comes to us through the Church in the person of the priest who acts in the name of Christ. We also need assurance that we are forgiven of our sins, and that's what confession gives us. To hear another human voice say, I absolve you of your sins, is just that a certain knowledge, a guarantee that we have been forgiven by God. With that knowledge comes an inner peace that is not of our making. We are notoriously bad too at being either too lax with ourselves or too harsh. The priest acting in the person of Christ brings a steadying objectivity and helps prevent self-deception. When we recognise and acknowledge our sins and seek the sacrament regularly, like on a monthly basis, our conscience is formed in a healthy way because of the regular examination of our conscience. We become more aware of the daily sins of life, the venial ones, that stop us from growing in virtue and holiness. Just practically too, it's easier to remember what you've done in the past four weeks than in the past twelve months. Confession is one of the most perfect remedies for pride, the most dangerous of all sins. By humbling ourselves and asking for forgiveness, like the prodigal son, God raises up and protects us against pride. Notice in all that I have said that I have used the plural pronoun, we, us, because I remind you that I go to confession as well and that I have to go to confession, like you, and I make it my practice to go at least once a month. One other thing I will add. When you say the short form of the act of contrition, Don't say that you will try not to sin again. It sounds like taking the easy option. 
To receive absolution, the Church teaches that we must have a firm resolve not to sin again. Not to try not to sin again, but a resolve not to sin again. We only accomplish this with God's grace, that's the truth, the grace of the sacrament. We know that we will probably sin again because we are weak. But to only say, I'm going to try, is to cheapen God's grace and imply that it all depends on me. I draw your attention to what the wholehearted sorrow of the prodigal son. He did not mince his words or reduce the gravity of his sin. The narrow pathway to heaven is not successfully navigated through being strong-willed ourselves, but of deepening our union with God by means of the sacraments and prayer. Regularly going to confession deepens the life of grace within us and makes solid and firm our union with God. Laudato Jesus Christus.